Good evening. I want to talk to you today about mindfulness principles in real estate, but I'm not going to talk about this topic alone today. I have a very special guest on the show today. Her name is Miss Terry Shower, and she has over 20 years experience as a real estate investor and property manager. Terry is the CEO and founder of My Room Gestion. She is the leading authority on applying mindfulness principles to real estate investing. And she's also written the number one best-selling book on the topic. And the book is called Mindful Landlord. Now, Terry's passion is to help fellow investors act for both profit and peace of mind. Her key areas of expertise are real estate with a focus on holistic wealth, financial freedom, female excellence in investing and beyond. All right, Terry, thank you so much for coming to the show today. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me on. Once I spoke with Jen and I found out that you did like the uh, the Zen property management and the peace of mind and like the holistic wealth that definitely resonated with me right there. So would you mind kind of going into that kind of how you got into the Zen property management? <laughs> sure. So usually Zen and property management are not two words that go together. <laughs> um, and I won't pretend that those two bases of knowledge came from the same place. So if I can sort of take you through what happened. So um, I actually started managing property when I was very young. Um, I was 19 and I moved out of my parents' house to go to college. And basically I ended up living in this like crazy student house that was like very poorly managed. And the day after I moved out of my parents' house, that group of people voted me house manager. And so I started, you know, at 19 years years old, I didn't even, you know, didn't even know what I was doing. And I was managing this, this student property. Um, and so my management practice kind of grew from there. I, I, you know, did that while I was studying. And then afterwards I moved to another city and I liked what I was doing so much that I started out house hacking. So before it was cool. So I rented a house and rented out the other rooms to other students because I enjoyed living in that kind of environment. Obviously I was able to save on rent. And then if we fast forward a few years later, um, I'd been doing this for like, you know, five, six years while I was a student. And when I moved back to my hometown, which is Montreal, Canada, I went to see dad and I was like, dad, you know, I've been doing this for the past five, six years running student houses. What about if we go in on a building, um, lend me the down payment money and let's just do this for profit. And uh, then that kind of turned into me investing. And then the business model worked so well that that then turned into a management business. So that's kind of how the property management side started. But at the same time, I um, had uh, kind of challenges with uh, an anxiety disorder. So as I was studying, I had, you know, some panic attacks and it got like really debilitating, like to the point where for three months, like I had tr trouble leaving the house by myself. I was like afraid to take the Metro. Like um, it was really not a fun time in my life. And my way of curing myself from that anxiety disorder was to get into mindfulness. So. I started meditating. I read, um, you know, Dan Millman's uh, "Peaceful the Way of the Peaceful Warrior," which is like a kind of very—it's uh, like one of the Bibles in that field. Um, and then I got a little bit into, you know, Buddhism and meditation and like some of the philosophy that goes along with that. And what I realized is I was able to get a better grip of controlling my mind because. Like, I think we need to make a, a distinction between mindfulness and mindset. 
a lot of people in the real estate field are always talking about, you know, mindset, 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 positive affirmations. Like, yes, that's one aspect of how you can use your mind. But if you really can understand how your mind works, and, you know, we can get into that a little bit later, you can get so much more uh, out of your experience. You can use it as such a better performance tool. And for me, really, like, beating my anxiety disorder, um, and then being able to import some of that methodology into everything else I did, like it really helped me, um, you know, manage properties in a Zen way. It hadn't helped me in like all other facets of life. So that's kind of where those, how those two things came together. And then it turned into Zen property management. That is amazing right there, Terry. Your dad, he reminds me of my granddad. You had mentioned that your dad had linked to the down payment money. So when I was about 18, my granddad, he gave me a piece of property. And then that kind of got me started with like real estate and things like that. So we definitely have that in common. If you're ready to take your journey of mindset mastery to the next level and dive even deeper into mindfulness and also meditation well i've got a fantastic resource just for you inside you're going to find step-by-step instructions valuable insights and also practical exercises to help you enhance your mindset and bring more positive changes to your life whether you're looking to conquer challenges unleash your potential or simply find more peace and balance throughout your daily life this guide is the roadmap to success to get your hands on this exclusive resource all you need to do is click the link below in the description. Is the market different in Canada as far as on investing or is it kind of the same as it is here in the States? No. So it's actually, that's a great question. It's quite different. And I think uh, for your listeners who are, who are in the States, like t- pay attention to what I'm about to say, because there's like a big opportunity sticker on this right now. So I'll break it down for you very simply. So if in Canada, basically, like we're super regulated, like think California and New York times 15. So our banking sector is super regulated. Um, the way we do transactions is super regulated. And basically what this means is that we never had 2008. So we've been on this continuous growth cycle, basically from the year 2000 until now. And what has happened is Canada is in the top three list or was as of a year ago in the top three list of most overvalued markets. Um, We have some of the most indebted uh, consumers in the world. The the average Canadian is uh, indebted and it's mostly housing debt. And so the Canadian market right now, we've been going through the same interest rate cycle as you guys, except the Canadian economy is way more vulnerable to real estate shocks um, because you guys had your market correction in 2008. And so even though the interest rates are going up, like people still have that crisis in memory and the market adjusted itself back then, our market didn't adjust itself. And the other thing you need to be aware of is that 40% of Canadians have variable rate mortgages. So if you can imagine that our mortgage rate uh, a year ago was just over 2% and we're now looking at 6%, that means that that 4% interest spread has been passed on directly to those 40% of people who have variable mortgages. So like their mortgages have gone up by like $1,500 a month. There's a lot of people feeling a lot of pain here. And uh, if, you know, any of your listeners are looking for potentially, you know, cross-border opportunities, the Canadian market, I think in the next six months to a year is going to be a very interesting place to invest. 
we've been on a continual growth track basically for the last 20 years, which accelerated during COVID the same way that, um, you know, things did in the States. I think our overall, our markets picked up 40% over COVID. And then we're now going into a correction where some of that gain is going to be taken apart. Where Canada is also a bit similar to the US is that like, you can't really talk about the Canadian market. Just like if you were talking about the US market, like what does that even mean? Because you're really going to put like LA, New York, Chicago, some small town in Indiana, like, are you really going to put all of those things into the same basket? Because, you know, Florida, um, hurricanes, you know, like whatever kind of thing, Texas, like we also have distinct markets in Canada. So if I'm thinking, um, you know, the big cities of Toronto and Vancouver, for example, have been extremely overvalued in the, in the current crisis, if you want to say. And so the biggest corrections are taking place in the single family sector in those markets. Now I'm in Montreal, which is, you know, kind of a, a smaller, it's, we're actually the second largest city in Canada, but from the point of view of equity, we're quite far down the list because property's been historically undervalued in Quebec, which is the the French part of Canada. You know, so our market runs on somewhat of a different cycle, let's say, than English Canada or than the big metropolises of of Vancouver and Toronto. And, you know, my tip would be that for anyone who's interested in Canada is you really need to, uh, same way as in the States, you really need to like understand the sub-market in which you're operating. Like, sure, there's, you know, a general US interest rate, which is going to affect everyone in some kind of a way. But like, you can't say that investing in Miami is the same thing as investing in, you know, Birmingham or something, right? So you'll have to research their specific market and understand what's happening there in order to make smart decisions. What about the history of markets and like analysis of like the um, macroeconomic data? Would you kind of discuss that for me a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, That's actually like one of my favorite things. Um, You know, I think like there's this tendency among real estate investors to be a bit short-termist and to, you know, listen to the be very now, 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 right? And I think like maybe the, the advantage in the US is that because you guys had 2008, you do understand that there are big factors going on and that those factors can really come in and influence your bottom your bottom line. Um, but where, you know, I'm talking about, about macroeconomic cycles, like if, if one gives into this myopia and let's say you're really good at your local market, like sure, you know, in, in uh, my ecosystem here, I have like, I'm surrounded by lots of people who specialize in Quebec. And so we tend to have this myopia where like you're talking to, you know, the mortgage brokers and the real estate agents and like everyone who's active in this market. And one tends to not look at the bigger patterns, which are, you know, actually worldwide. Right. And if you look at, for example, you know, the growth of cities, or you look at um, the tendency of real estate to be one of the main stores of wealth, and you look at um, let's say the last 20 years of mortgage debt, like a lot of people don't realize that this um, mortgage lending system that we have is only about 30 years old. So like, sure, there were mortgages before, but the fact that it was so easy to obtain them and that mortgages were securitized, for example, makes like more mortgage credits super available and that that then drives up house prices, um, you know, over the last 30 year period. And if you begin to understand that, you then begin to understand, for example, the affordability crunch, because Today, we have rents that are increasing quite dramatically. We have house prices that are increasing along with mortgage rates. And so that means that housing is becoming less and less affordable, whether you're a renter or whether you're a buyer. And if you understand that kind of historical trend, you're going to be able to make better decisions in terms of which markets to invest in and um, what basically what to do with your money. Now, 
Next question I have for you here, and I've been hearing a lot about this. Would you please kind of explain about uh, reading the economic tea leaves for real estate investors? <laughs> well, again, it's funny, like whenever you ask a question, it's kind of like referring back to the past, uh, the, the last question, but it's good. It let's me develop it a little bit more. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what, I, what I'm talking about, right, is that we have this tendency to be like very short termist in our decision making. And, you know, someone uh, came on my show a little while ago, my podcast, um, and really made this dis this distinction for me between an investor and a speculator. And like, I just, the lights went off in my head. So I'm going to try to repeat that for your audience. So what is a speculator? A speculator is someone who hopes to do a quick manipulation, usually think flipper, um, who wants to buy something today and hope that in six months, they're going to sell it for, you know, and make a $200,000 $200, profit. Um, a speculator is usually not interested in long term and they're looking to make quick money. Now, an investor is someone who takes a long view. So we're talking like a five-year, 10-year plan and says that, you know, I'm going to place my money in the market, in a specific market, in this case, through the vehicle of real estate. And I realize that over that five to 10-year period, there's going to be fluctuations, there's going to be ups and downs. But as long as my asset is cash flow neutral to begin with, I'm going to end up making money in my 10-year plan. And what I want to say is it's much better, much more zen <laughs> to make your decisions as an investor instead of as a speculator, because you can't time the market. And I think anybody who's been you know, watching real estate go up and down, who's been watching the stock market go up and down, the ones who end up losing are the people who you know, buy high and sell low, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> people, people who tried to time the market and they got caught with their pants down. So you know, the best economists, the best traders, the best real estate people will make mistakes when they're making short-term decisions in a volatile environment. And like, let's be honest with COVID, things have just gotten that much more volatile. And we don't know, you know, in the next three months, in the next six months, what's going to happen with interest rates, what's going to happen with our markets. And so if you're making three month or six month decisions, you just might get caught out. Whereas if you're think more like an investor and, you know, think with a 10 year time horizon, like you can be pretty sure that on a 10 year, 10 year time horizon, you're going to make money. I don't want to say whatever you do, but pretty much whatever you do. I would like to also talk about mindset because, you know, as we talked about here, you know, like it's a lot of different fluctuations in the market and things like that. And it's a whole lot going on. Would you also mind discussing like mindfulness, like different things you can do in your day to be more mindful? So I'll just try to, you know, give you the basic uh, backbone of it. And of course, there's, you know, very, a lot of like different smaller topics that we can get into, but um, really I want to draw the first, again, the distinction between mindset and mindfulness. So if you're talking about mindset, like mindset is more like, you, you know, you, I think you referenced it earlier. So like a specific set of tactics that I'm going to use when closing a deal, a specific way that I want to treat my clients, uh, you know, with respect and with different kinds of things that are going to make turn that into repeat business. So that's like kind of action items in terms of things that I can do with the way that I behave and the way that I think about social situations, like that's going to be mindset. But when we're talking about mindfulness, we're actually talking about something that's kind of deeper than that. And the best way to understand that is to think about your different levels of consciousness. So very simply, like my mind has different ways in which it operates. We have what's called the thinking mind, which is always on that gets like into the radio. So at any given time, my mind is like 
spitting out all kinds of different thoughts. It's talking, it's planning dinner. It's, you know, worrying about this particular deal or like fighting with a tenant internally because I had a conversation I didn't like yesterday. So my thoughts are kind of like always running and they're like the radio in that I sort of can't turn it off but I can choose whether or not I listen to it. Underneath the thoughts, I have my emotions. And so like, I like to think of emotions kind of as the weather system. So, you know, if it's raining, I might go out for my jog and it might be not so nice. If it's sunny, I might go out for my jog and it's nice. So the emotions are kind of coloring whatever you're doing. Um, and they're sort of there. Like you don't have a whole lot of control of which weather system is there. You don't have a whole lot of control of what emotion you happen to be feeling at a specific time, but you do have control of your actions. So whether you're feeling sad, whether you're feeling anxious, whether you're feeling happy, you don't control that, but you do control how you act through those emotions. Um, so that's kind of like another important thing to realize. And then underneath that, we have what's called the watcher or pure presence. And when you're learning to meditate, basically what you're learning to do is to connect and identify with the part of your mind that is just present. And the incredible power of that is that emotions and you know thoughts, if they're limiting thoughts or anxious thoughts or thoughts that are not serving your current purpose, if you cease to identify with those thoughts or you cease to identify with your emotions, you gain this incredible power by learning to be with the watcher instead. You know, for me, like I said, someone who experienced anxiety, anxiety is like often a, a very heavy thought-based thing. Like I'll have thoughts that spin out of control and all of a sudden, like I'm not in the present moment anymore. I'm not attending to the things that I need to be attending to, to be successful, be it like in real estate or in something else. And so the way to get out of that is to realize I am not my thoughts. I am not my emotions. I am that presence that's underneath those things. And so I can learn to tune in or tune out as I see fit. So, you know, like our emotional systems, for example, are there to help us. Like if you feel afraid, that fear is sending you a message. It's sending you a message that like, look, there's a threat you need to pay attention to. And so like, ultimately those emotions are useful, but if you're consumed by your fear, it's not going to allow you to make the correct decisions. And, you know, you want to tie this back to the market. It's very easy. Like people make fear-driven decisions all the time. Like don't buy this property, sell too low. Um, don't really go through the negotiation in a way that you should go through it because you're nervous or because whatever it is. Right. And so like when you're behaving from fear, you're not acting in your best interest. The fear is useful. It's there to send you a message. But once you've gotten the message, you then need to move out of that kind of fear state and, and act in the way that's appropriate to the situation. And by training your mind and becoming mindful, by understanding all those different parts of consciousness, you really are able to just get so much more out of your experience. My gosh, that resonated with me so much. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because see, um, like I, what, what made me get into like meditation and like mindset and mindfulness is I remember back about 20 years ago when I first started barbering, like a lot of like negative things started kind of happening to me. And I was thinking like, why me? I was basically playing the victim. I was like, why yeah. me? Why me? And then once I realized that things that happened were things that I had done, it, it, it may have been like a little minute thing that I'd done a few weeks back that led up to that event. And I was like, you know what? I need to get my mindset together because I have everything else in my life together besides my mindset and mindset is critical. You're so right. And you know, like the, the um, parallel I always try to use is diet, right? Like, let's say we all have, you know, weight goals or we all like know that we should, we have 10 pounds to lose, 15 pounds to lose, whatever it is. And like the difference between someone who 
is able to do that and is not able to do it, it's not about knowledge anymore. Like there is so much knowledge out there available on the, on the internet, in podcasts, in books, like everywhere. And it's the same in real estate. There is so much knowledge that we can't have the excuse that we don't know. We all know how we have to eat in order to be at our ideal weight. But if we don't do it, it's a question of what you're doing with your mind. And so like the real break, the real thing that's preventing you from getting where you want to be is not most of the time, it's not lack of knowledge. It's, it's lack of proper use of your mind. Do you have any other tips for like mindfulness and meditation that you want to give my audience here? Um, yeah. I mean, like if anything, maybe a couple of book recommendations, you know, like for me, um, just as rich dad, poor dad sent me on my real estate journey when I was, you know, 20 and I, and I read that book, it really kind of, um, it inspired me to never get a real job. <laughs> um, just like, um, Dan Millman's way of the peaceful warrior really opened uh, my eyes to this whole, you know, mindfulness world, obviously my own book, mindful landlord, which I wrote uh, specifically to bring some of those ideas together. So some of the ideas of mindfulness with the idea of becoming a successful real estate investor, um, but I can, you know, recommend those books. Another book I really love um, is uh, Arno Ilger's the rock warrior's way. So this is like somebody who brought mindfulness ideas into rock climbing. So if you're not into rock climbing, I'm not into rock climbing. Um, you can kind of skip over the climbing stuff, but his take on mindfulness is just super accessible and like very easy to implement. So if I could, you know, recommend those resources to some of your listeners, they're low cost. You can get all those things on Amazon and it will change the way that you you use your mind. And what I'll do, I'll leave the uh, link to all of those uh, book recommendations there, uh, Terry, uh, like I said, in the podcast here. Now, last question, how can people connect with you? But somebody's like, you know what? I really like Terry. I, I really like what she was talking about on the Auto Customer Service podcast. How can people connect with you? Yeah. So, I mean, it's super simple. Um, my uh, social media of choice is LinkedIn. So just look up Terry Shower. Uh, on LinkedIn. And then my book is available on Amazon, uh, Mindful Landlord, and my podcast. So I, I host the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, which is uh, obviously like more of a kind of Montreal, Canada-based show. But we get into you know some of these mindfulness things. And if you want to kind of like learn more about what I do, um, you can check out the, the show. Thank you so much for your time today, Terry. Like I said, this is so amazing. Like I know my audience is going to get a whole lot of value out from this right here. Like I said, especially with the, the mindset, the mindfulness and all the information that you shared with us about the uh, Montreal market and everything like that. This has just been like phenomenal right here, Terry. Thank you so, so, so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on, Tony.